0: Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far. What a year everyone has had, and I can't believe today marks the first episode of season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Enjoy the launch of season two. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple. I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm gonna have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your every day. Without further ado, our guest this week, he is one of the youngest CEOs in the sports business. He's worked his way up from employee number one of the company to his current C-level role and has impacted hundreds of industry professionals. I'm excited to have Bill Fagan, CEO of the Aspire Group. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, my
1: friend. Glad to be here.
0: Bill, launching season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle today, and I can't think of anyone better than you. A great friend of mine, and and I certainly appreciate all of your support, both personally and professionally, and, and certainly the support of 52 Weeks of Hustle.
1: I'm honored to be here. Season two, year two, and 52 Weeks of Hustle is my favorite podcast. So. Thank you. I, I
0: appreciate that. And I, I'm sure the listeners know that I've had to, to pay you or, or provide you a few <laughs> drinks every once in a while to say that. But hey, you know, it, it's it kind of leads into the, the point of, of how we first connected. Uh, and it's certainly crazy to think how time flies in this business. You and I first met at a career fair in Savannah, Georgia in the year 2008. So we're going to date ourselves a little bit. Mm. Uh, but right from there, I knew you were going to be an industry leader in this business. And you ultimately ended up moving kind of next to me right there on Northside drive in Atlanta for a short while. And before we dive into your illustrious career, Bill, like what do you feel like you've just consistently done to be so successful in this industry?
1: Good question, Travis. You know, I think there's a couple of things. One is get comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, especially when you're learning new things, whether you're early in your career or you're starting a new position that discomfort equals growth. Um, second thing is a mantra that I learned early on in Phoenix which is controlling what you can control that's you know there, there's so many things in our world and in our industry that we can't control specifically wins and losses or the team performance and those things but you can control your attitude and you can control your effort and if you do that you, you do great and then the, the last thing is something I learned in high school my um, my brother owns a plumbing and heating business and so in the summers I would work for my brother, Kevin, and he taught me about cutting pipes. And what he taught me is measure twice and cut once. And so the whole idea is that you, you never want to cut the pipe too short because you never get it back. Yeah. And so when you're making decisions, being thoughtful and about those decisions and taking the extra time to really think through it will make a better outcome.
0: No, absolutely. It's great advice. And you've certainly lived that. And we're going to share with you and you and your career here today in 52 weeks of hustle. But there are definitely some, you know, probably those out of your comfort zone decisions you've made, which we'll dive into. You've always focused on the intangibles, the control controllables, which is key. And, and yeah, it's it's making, you know, those those very educated decisions. And so in this industry, Bill, we talk a lot about the most successful people need to have that competitive edge, uh, which is part of a controllable. And we'll, we'll back to your early upbringing in Middleton, Connecticut. You're the youngest of eight kids. So it seems like competition was written all over it. So what were some of the key characteristics instilled in you at an early age?
1: Yeah, so growing up in a family of 10, so there are eight of us kids. I was the baby. Uh, people always ask, what was it like? growing up in a, in a big family and, uh, and specifically being the youngest. And I have to say, that's, that's all I knew. I mean, that was just the birth order, but there was 17 years between me and my oldest brother. And so it, they started having children when I was still a child. And yeah. so I became a young an, uh, uncle. Yeah. I was an uncle at age seven, which was pretty wild. And now there's 14 nieces and nephews. So Even as a child, I was kind of living this dual role of being the baby, but also being the uncle. And then, you know, for the first eight years of my life, I never had a bedroom, never had my own bed. I just slept with my siblings wherever there was space. And then, you know, eventually as they moved off to go to college, you know, I I got my own bed and and things became a little bit more normal. You know, my parents, um, both throughout their, their lives, have always worked multiple jobs uh, my dad worked at the Yukon Health Center, and um, he also worked for some doctors on the side and developed photographs for them and also supported them. And somehow he still made it to my sporting events. And that was just amazing. You know, he actually started his career as a teacher prior to getting into healthcare. And my mom has spent her entire year in education. And so, education is kind of the part of the fabric and the DNA of our family, and, and certainly. Um, what what part of who I am my mom worked actually in religious education and so she oversaw all the Sunday school programs recruited all the volunteer teachers and program with several hundred kids and she still works um, at, at the Middletown Public Library um, to this day and so you know, she just she's always hustling and, and that you know it sets the tone but the common thread was education is non-negotiable like it has to, that sets the tone. And, you know, so all of us kids, we all worked in high school and the other thing that we all did was we were always volunteering. So whether it was volunteering at the soup kitchen or just in the community, I mean, that was part of who we were. And, and, you know, what both of my parents you know, always did is they just showed up. And I think that's just so important. They never missed a day of work. Um, They never took time off and, and, uh, yeah there's there's a flip side to that which is I don't know if they had the the work life balance but they, they had the work family balance that's for yeah. sure. And so I had that model and um, it's obviously it's with me forever.
0: And I think that shows just the type of person you are obviously your upbringing but you're always the willing to give back. Not only just you know here you know being on the podcast and willing to provide advice for all the listeners but what you've done and how many industry professionals you've made a huge impact and you know thinking about education as you're growing up I'm sure you had some rebel tendencies being the youngest. And then when it came to college, everyone else of all your other siblings kind of stayed close. You decided to, to really be that rebel and, and go, you know, back to one of your first pieces of advice out of your comfort zone. You went to the U down at the University of Miami. How did that come about? And, and you know, was that one of your first sales wins and even pitching your family to allow you to leave kind of the state or the area?
1: It really was. Uh, so uh, my seven older siblings, they all went on college tours. And as a child, I visited virtually every college and university in New England uh, that was driving distance. Yeah, a lot of tours. Um, but I, I never visited a school outside of the Northeast. And so all given that they all went to college and locally, relatively, they also all seven of them, they ran cross country, indoor track, outdoor track. I was the only one that didn't do that. I didn't do any, any formal running. I played baseball and soccer in high school. So I didn't, I didn't want to follow in their footsteps literally. And so I just started applying for schools across the country. And my criteria was, I wanted a great business school and ideally somewhere near the ocean would be nice, but really good business school. And so my parents refused to take me on the tour of the university of Miami because they didn't think we could afford it. And it was just so far away. And so luckily my sister, Kate, she, uh, she raised her hand and she said, well, I'll go to Miami with you. I'll take you on a campus visit. And so that was it. She took me down and I fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the school. And, you know, I learned a lot on that visit because contrary to what most people believe, you know, Miami is unlike Florida State or Florida. It's not a big public school. It's a small private school, only 8,000 students. And when I was on campus, they touted that they have the smallest average class size, which means a good ratio of teacher to student, which was really good because high accountability, you know, being in the classroom, teachers know your name. And so that's ultimately what, what got me there.
0: Now, awesome. And while you're a hurricane, to your point, you receive a degree in business administration as a marketing manager uh, and a minor in sports uh, management. So was there an internship or job that you had that really helped decide, you know what, I want to get into the sports business?
1: Yeah, junior year, I took a careers in sports class, uh, sport management class, and they always had guest speakers. One of those guest speakers was from the Orange Bowl, Dave Murphy. And he oversaw all the sponsorships for the Orange Bowl committee and for the for the big game. And he, at the end of class, he said, "We typically hire one intern, and um, if anyone's interested, just come talk to me after class." And so I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that that actually went and talked to him. But uh, it led to my first internship, and that internship with the Orange Bowl and the sponsorship team um, started my career in sports business. And you know, it's it was. Very, very much probably my first time asking for the sale in terms of just really wanting it and wanting to really dig in. And, you know, I think you know, one other thing that shaped me more on the sales side, more than the sports side is after my freshman year, I had an opportunity. I wanted to do an internship just to get life experience. And I flew to California for the summer and Berkeley. And I worked for a nonprofit and um, the nonprofit had us knocking on doors throughout the Northern California area. So back in, our goal was a hundred knocks a day to solicit donations for this, for this nonprofit. And I struggled the first couple of weeks, um, but my boss You know, they would drop us off in the neighborhoods and he would say, How's it going? I would say, Oh, it's going okay. I got a couple of small donations. And he taught me the best life lesson, sales lesson, which was he said, Okay, I'm gonna want you to try something a little different today. I know you have your script, but I want you to do something a little different. Before you knock on that first door, I want you to I want you to pretend that I'm giving you a thousand dollar check. Because normally we ask for a fifty, a hundred dollar donation. Now, I wrote you this check, and this is the biggest check that you, you'll ever get. And when you yeah. go to the first store, instead of asking for $50 or hundred dollars, I want you to know that you just got a thousand dollar donation. And when you go to that door, ask for a thousand dollar donation and it's not going to feel comfortable, but just try it. Yeah. And so uncomfortably I tried it and eventually I got a thousand dollar donation, not that day, but eventually through the summer. And it was that confidence and that practice coaching really made a difference.
0: No, and you know, I too went door to door in college and, and some of this the learning experiences from that is just amazing. And so I would certainly recommend any of the college listeners out there, if there's any type of job that you can go door to door, you want to learn sales, that's a quick way to learn it. And, and certainly a quick way to learn rejection, which which kind of leads to our next point. You know, as you're graduating, you know, I too went to a private school. So student loans are starting to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay, what am I gonna do? You know, what what's my first career move? And you know, I know that's always a stressful time, right? You, you come March, April, May of your senior year, you're trying to, trying to land a job and you're dealing with rejection. And you had some challenges as I know, you know, in knowing you, you, you were paying ways to fly places that didn't necessarily land the job. So can you talk the listeners through that experience and ultimately how you continue to, to not only build relationships, but overcome some of that rejection?
1: Yeah, Travis, I, yeah. If you can get internships while you're in school, that's great. Any type of part-time work. And I felt like I had these two internships in sports. I'm, I've set my, my resume up right. And I found myself in the business school computer lab every day just applying for jobs. And through teamwork online and applied for over 150 jobs, got very few callbacks. And it was it was definitely a feeling of rejection. But eventually I got a, a phone interview that led to a, a face-to-face interview in Cleveland with the Cavs pre-LeBron and flew myself up there, like you said. And, um, at the end of the interview, Mike Andreko, who was the inside sales manager at the time said, Bill, you know, great job. We really like you, but we're fully staffed. Uh, we hire a new class every spring. And if you're interested, you know, we can kind of put your name on the list for next spring. And, um, I said, now, thank you so much, but you know, I wanna work now. And he said, okay, well, uh, I do have other relationships in the industry and I could refer you to my friend, Mike Toman in, in, in Phoenix. And so he referred me to Mike. Mike. Mike interviewed me, invited me to Phoenix, same, it was deja vu, go through the interview. Uh, we're sitting in the Starbucks downstairs at the, after the interview and Mike says to me, uh, Great job! Um, unfortunately, we don't have any spots available right now, but stay in touch. And so I got remember get, getting back on the plane and thinking, boy, this is this is a long time to wait. And then, within a couple of short weeks, my phone rings late on a Friday, and it's Mike, and he says, "So one of our sales consultants decided to move home, and so we have an open seat. We'd love to have you." And so I hi. Yeah. Done. Yeah. All in. And so relocated from Miami to, uh, to Phoenix really quick.
0: No, absolutely. And so even going back to that bill, like, you know, I know a lot of times in this business, right. You're coming out of college. You don't have a ton of finances. You, you've probably already sold your parents on getting into this sports business that they've found out that it doesn't pay that well, especially entry level. What is going on? Like, why was it so important to you as you look back to like, you know what, I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to find a way to purchase a flight to Cleveland, purchase a flight to Phoenix, like, and maybe there's another flight that you're going to purchase, right? Like, why? Why was that important to you?
1: Well, I was close to. I I had, I had the closest opportunity I got was an unpaid internship with a beach volleyball tournament in Southern California, and I was so close to taking it because I had nothing else, but I was willing to do that. and And I had, I was working at a cafe, uh, making ten dollars an hour. And didn't have much savings, but I figured I'm going to bet on myself because even if I take that unpaid internship, I know that I'm going to be all in. And I, I, I remember saying that in my interview I said, you know, if I move to Phoenix, I'm not moving here for friends or for family. I, in fact, I don't know anybody here. I'm going to be all in on this job. And that's the most important thing for you to know. And I'm going to be open to learning whatever you teach me. Most importantly, you know, know that I'm coming here for you basically for this job and so I think that resonated at the time in hindsight um and it's it rings true I think still today
0: and then finally as as both your move from Connecticut and the New England area to the U and to to Miami and then from Miami to Phoenix you know for those of you that aren't geographically you know savvy that that's completely far away it's as far south as you can get and then damn near as far west as you can get from from your home from your comfort level like what's your advice to people that say you know what like I I like staying around my comfort level my my family my friends like why was it important to you to, to to kind of branch off
1: well you know early on I i wasn't comfortable with, I wasn't fully comfortable with it. What, what I mean is even after I took that first job in Phoenix, uh, I would be meeting in one-on-ones with Mike around on a regular basis. And after like three, six months, nine months, he would, in our one-on-ones, he would ask me, uh, what do you want to do with your career? And I would say, I don't know. Like, I just want to do well at the job I have now. And he said, and he kept asking me. And then eventually I felt like I had to give him an answer. So begrudgingly, I came to the next one-on-one and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I know what I want to do. I want to move closer to home and I want to work in major league baseball because I love baseball and I'm from Connecticut. So whatever that means. And the best thing that ever happened is I never moved closer to home and I never worked in major league baseball because that was me as a fan. That was me and my personal interest. Instead, I just focused on the job. I didn't apply for anything. And then the opportunities eventually find you because you're so focused on whatever you're, whatever's in front of you at that time.
0: Back to the controllables, right? And you, you've done yep. a tremendous job. And so Bill, you go out and you start in Phoenix uh, and it's the wall of fame class with multiple people, you know, that are are very big industry professionals, including several podcast guests and Corey Bretton, Nick Barlage, Mark Jackson, Jeff Finello, just to name a few. And just with that many times, there aren't many people left in this business, but you know, from your class and from everybody that's out in Phoenix, there are a ton of industry leaders still, still in this business. And so going back to that competitive nature and that competition, how is that experience for you and how were you ultimately able to stand out in front of some of the best?
1: I was so fortunate, Travis, to be hired by Mike, surrounded by the, those names you listed in so many more, um, that from day one, you know, I had a great teacher, a great leader, a coach. He incorporated training into every meeting that we had. And that was just so impactful. You know, I remember Jeff Inello. he was just a senior uh, account executive at the time, and he was learning to manage. I didn't know it at the time, but he was learning to manage. So he poured into us, gave us extra training. My teammates were so strong. They helped me with my first call, my first sale, my first face-to-face appointment, my first rejection when somebody hung up on me, like they were there and like, we made, we had fun with it. Um, But it took me over a month to make my first sale. I mean, it wasn't automatic. When, when we hire sales consultants at Aspire, like it's not uncommon for them to get a sale in the first week. It was well over a month for me. And so, I realized that I wasn't going to catch up to these 11 other people on the sales board in month one or month two or month three, but I could control the number of calls I made. I could control how much training I was doing. I can control my technique. And eventually the revenue followed after that first sale, gained some confidence. And the leadership was just so strong in the organization all the way up to our president, Rick Welts, that, you know, there was this culture of work hard, play hard, but really, you know, work hard to get better and the results will follow.
0: No, absolutely. And, and you you may have taken a, a month or so to get your first sale, but I'm going to brag for you a bit. You know, I know in, in talking to you and talking to people out there, you absolutely crushed it your first year, probably made more money than any inside sales rep, even to date, as you were able to sell over half a million dollars. And you know, just to give those a glimpse into that, a lot of first year, you know, sales team members, you know, are bringing in 100 to 150 grand, um, depending. And so you absolutely killed it. You had a ton of success. And you take what on paper could be an interesting move could be, hey, this kind of out of my comfort zone, or what does this mean? You accepted a role within the same organization, the Phoenix organization, to sell marketing partnerships for the Phoenix Roadrunners of the ECHL minor league hockey. Why'd you make that move?
1: Good question, Travis. Uh, The Suns, like you said, they owned multiple sports properties, including the ECHL team. And when the opportunity was presented to me, uh, I had the opportunity to become the lead ticket sales rep for the team. So I went from being one of many to being one of really just two people. And so suddenly I was the senior sales rep. I was just two years into my career. And then it uh, turns out that that year, I, my first year in the ECHL, I was the number one salesperson for the entire ECHL league. And so they knew two years in that this guy could sell tickets. But then I got tapped on the shoulder by the team president, Ray Delia. And he said, you know, we have these corporate partners. Nobody really owns those relationships. You know, What if we created this position where you could be both the service person, but also the salesperson to help us grow that part of the business. And I viewed it as, well, opportunity to learn number one. And number two, I had a trusting relationship with Ray and Mike, who had mentored me up to that point that I was able to stay in the family, continue to grow and develop and be around really good people. And so I made the decision uh, very much a no brainer for me. I mean, some of my best memories, happened when I was in that marketing partnerships role. I remember, you know, when starting off and I didn't have a lead list. So I had the, they said, you know, you got to grow the business. And I'm like, where do I begin? And so I, I just called every single ticket buyer that I sold for across any of the properties and that I knew was either a decision maker in a business or owned a business. And I was just call him and introduce him to this ECHL hockey club and say, I know you you got your son's tickets or your Mercury tickets from me, but I want to talk to you about this, the Roadrunners. What do you know about them? And, and tell me more about your business. And eventually that led to some sales. I remember selling um, Russ Lyon Realty, a $2,000 uh, pocket schedule sponsorship. And it was the first time he ever did advertising and he was really just buying because of his trust in me. And then I remember calling, uh, Matt, Matt McBride who owned a tire business, just a one in one, one stop shop, um, never did advertising in his life. And he was telling me about how he had just come back from this Goodyear tire conference and Goodyear was going to provide them some marketing dollars. And, uh, I said, well, Matt, you know, we can help you. And, uh, we, we can do a lot of fun things. And he ended up investing $25,000 in a sponsorship as a small business. I mean, it, and I gave him probably $100,000 worth of time and energy because, right, right. It, but it was, it was those, you know, relationships and that kind of got the ball rolling. It made the other, made calling people who I didn't have a relationship easier because I gained that confidence talking with people who are almost like friends and then, you know, business associates.
0: I think th- there's several pieces of advice I took from that is one right there, right? Relationships, the power of relationships in this business. Don't be that salesperson, be that sales consultant that you're truly providing them a value proposition. One, don't read you know a book by its cover uh, or judge a book by its cover, right? Like you would have never thought, I think the name was Matt, that he could yeah. spend 25 grand, right? And that that's what you see every day. And then third, like just the power of understanding that the excitement of our business, like the fact that that was, you know, at this point in time, over 15 years ago, you still remember their names. You still remember the, you know, their business, their experience. Like that's, that's why we're in this business. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And so, you know, after obviously several successful years there, you then take another promotion and this time, you know, you talk about out at a comfort level, you're going out of the country. And you have to get a work visa and that is for the director of sales and service with the Montauk Wildcats Hockey Club uh, in Canada. And first, I know that's far away. I feel like I'm somewhat geographically savvy, but like give the listeners where that is and why was that the right move for you?
1: I had no idea where Moncton was either. <laughs> but if, if you're in, if you're listening in, you're in Pacific time, it would be four time zones East. If you're in east coast time which is where we are now it would be another time zone east imagine going up to maine which very few people go to in the first place yeah but then you keep going north you keep going east and eventually you'll end up in new brunswick and moncton is in new brunswick and so by the way it's english is not the first language french is the first language right. yep. and i don't speak a lick of french sure. so it was a big change from phoenix um but i was invited there by Ray, who had promoted me in Phoenix, and he was the first American general manager of a CHL uh, hockey club. And so, again, the decision became easier once I prioritized what was important to me. And it was who's the people who am I going to work for, and what am I going to? What's the job? And it was my first management job. I wasn't going to be managing a lot of people, but I was going to be managing. Things and specifically all of the ticketing responsibilities, and so that made things a heck of a lot easier. A Quick story: I I remember when I was interviewing for the job, I said to them, so "What happens when you get a really really bad snowstorm? I mean, do you?" This was before work from home. I was like, "Do you, what do you do?" And they, and everyone said the same thing. They said, "Well, if you get up normally at seven a.m., you get up you know ninety minutes earlier so you can shovel out the car and and clean up, up everything, and you just get get started earlier." So get this. I start in my first week or so they have HR orientation at the headquarters. And so, and we get crushed with a snowstorm. It was like November. And uh, so I'm remembering what they told me in the interview, get up 90 minutes earlier, clean off the car and go out there. So I do this, I get out there in, in my suit and tie and clean off the car and get in the car. And I realized as I'm driving, you know, very slowly, I'm the only car on the road besides the snow plows. I get to the headquarters and there's one car in the parking lot. I get to the, go in the front door and there's somebody that's shocked to see me. I stunned them. And she says, what are you doing here? I said, well, I've got, I'm here for my 9am uh, orientation. She said, are you crazy? There's a snowstorm out here. Nobody's coming in here today. <laughs> and so I realized they weren't as hard as they pretended to be, but that was my orientation to Canada
0: especially going up to Canada where the last you know six, seven years, you'd spent time in Miami, Florida and Phoenix, Arizona. So the last thing that you ever had to deal with was snow. And so I'm sure that was a little bit of a shock. And you know, so so after a year in Canada, you make the move back to the MBA and, and to actually work for a mentor, Mike Toman, who we've talked about several times here. You're with the Charlotte Bobcats as their inside sales manager. And, and so now you've, you've spent a couple of years in leadership, right? provide the listeners what why did you know leadership was the right fit for you in your career path
1: well Trav I you know when I was still selling in Phoenix they created this night call program where they would we would bring in uh, college students to make calls from six to eight at night and we would recruit them and then manage them and train them and that was management training and then in the mornings they would have these voluntary uh, role-playing sessions at early, like 7 a.m. And then at the end of the day, Monday through Thursday, we would do, They inside sales would have objection meetings where you work on whatever challenges you're hearing on the phone. And so I would just volunteer to come help out with Mike and Jeff and whoever else in the leadership team. And I walked out of those meetings at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning or at 5.30 at night. And I was just so energized. It's like, my... Nine to five role of marketing partnerships and sales is great, but that really got me fired up. And so that was just I reinforced my interest in leadership management. So I shared that with my mentors and I said, that's what I want to do. And they said, well, there's no openings here, but you know, hang in there and, and uh, focus on what you have now and the rest will take care of itself. And that's what happened.
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Bill Fagan, CEO of the Aspire Group. Bill, as as our loyal listeners know, one of my first guests on this podcast in season one was Dr. Bernie Mullen, the founder and chairman of the Aspire Group, and obviously a huge mentor and friend of yours and mine. You ultimately become his first hire to, to lead the Aspire Group in their first property at Georgia Tech. And at the time, this was probably an, another bit of a gamble, although it was with Bernie, who is obviously the guru of ticketing, so probably not as much. But you know, what made you so excited about on one end back then, that was a startup, a startup company and the potential of the Aspire group.
1: Yeah. You, you nailed it, Travis. I mean, I knew Bernie's reputation from his days leading team bow at the NBA and, and his time with uh, the Atlanta Hawks, Thrashers, Phillips Serena as CEO and everyone I knew, including you uh, saying his praises. They said, this is not like a traditional leader. I mean, he, he knows and cares about people and um, The opportunity to work alongside Bernie and Bill Duffy, it was very attractive. But then also, this was a startup, and so I was getting in at the ground floor, and that was exciting. It scratched my entrepreneurial itch, if you will. And being the first to do something doesn't happen that often. So we were. This was the opportunity to be the first ever outsourced sales provider in college athletics, and it was the opportunity to build something, you know, first of all, it's got to work, but then build after that. And so that was very attractive to me.
0: And you've now been there, obviously very attractive. You've been there over 12 years and I want to dive more into your learnings and growth, but quickly, for those of you that don't know, the aspire group is a company that partners with sports entities to grow revenue and attendance. They generate over $200 million annually, and they've, they've served over 200 plus brands and properties across 11 countries, 17 different sports you guys have 47 fan relationship management centers that are currently operating across the U S and so Bill, why don't you just, you know, we talk a lot about sales pitch and maybe even going back to your door to door, give the listeners a sales pitch story on the Aspire group and why it's such a great organization.
1: Travis, we care about our people. You know, we have a philosophy that A's hire A's. And so it starts with hiring great leaders, those managers, those managers, those managers, then hire great staff they hire a's and then that's those staff those sales and service team members typically they are the ones that are providing great customer service to fans and then those fans buy more tickets and or they make more donations and ultimately our client partners are satisfied because there's more revenue and more fans in the stands you know, the whole philosophy is based off of the disney uh, profit chain that and if you focus on the people the rest takes care of itself And, you know, we have this mantra borrowed from Greg Sciano, Rutgers, forget about me, I love you, spells family. And it's the reason that Forbes recognizes us as one of the best places to work because it's all about the people.
0: Forget about me, I love you. Love it. That's great. And, and, you know, that kind of leads into the next question I want to ask you is you care about your people and you guys have, you know, between yourself and, and Bernie and everyone else there within the Aspire group. You've hired a ton of great people. Many of them are still working with you guys. Many have moved on to other opportunities, but have, have certainly grown their career. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, Bill, why you got into leadership. But what is your advice And now seeing a lot of people that grow into those leadership roles of not only getting into leadership, but how to lead at, a, at the highest level?
1: Yeah, we have a your Game training session where we talk about the difference between managing versus leadership and you don't need to be a manager by title to be a leader you know and anybody can be a leader and so when you're in a position of leadership though you're always in the spotlight you're always on stage and so your words matter your actions matter and I believe in servant leadership and you know making every effort to over communicate and so it's not easy that's the work part of leading but when you have you know, a lot of head nods and smiles in the audience and Zoom calls or otherwise, you know that your message is getting across and that makes it all worthwhile.
0: Absolutely. And so since being with the Aspire Group, you've worked your way up from, again, employee number one, leading the Fan Relationship Management Center to SVP, to COO, and now to CEO. What does the day-to-day look like for you?
1: Yeah, it's all about, uh, it starts with our people. So starting with our Aspire family members, as much time as I can with them, um, for anyone from our, our founder and term, Bernie to interns, entry level staff, um, I'm not great at building much white space in my calendar. So um, when I'm not with my team or our team, I'm meeting with our client partners or prospective partners to understand uh, what their challenges are and and just listen.
0: Absolutely and certainly, kudos to all your accomplishments. And and many people they don't necessarily get to stay and work their way up within the same organization like you have and. You're certainly a great testimonial, but there are many more within your organization that have continued to work their way up as well. So what do you feel like, again, the Aspire Group is all about the people, as you mentioned a couple of times, and, and I certainly can't reiterate that enough, but what do you feel like the Aspire Group has continued to do to promote that internal growth?
1: Yeah, we have a, we have a, got our a blueprint. Um, we talk about it often. We talk about internal growth and, and we invest heavily in training, you know, there's an old adage that says, what if you train your people constantly and you invest in them and then they leave and you wasted all that energy? And you know, we say, well, what if you don't train them and they stay? And so we just train constantly. Yep.
0: no, absolutely. Training and development is huge. And, you know, thinking about development, uh, you know, from from your end, Bill, you're constantly traveling. You mentioned you have a ton of meetings. You don't leave a ton of white space. And we certainly appreciate you leaving some white space here today to give back. But you're always recruiting. You're always training. But you also, what I've always appreciated, you always find ways to continue to learn, grow, and develop. And you found some time, and I still don't know how you did it, but to go back and get your MBA at Emory University there in Atlanta in their business school. Why was that important to you to, to go back to school?
1: You know, going back to my roots, You know, education has always been important. Um, One of our core values is always be learning. And for me, um, you know, the opportunity to learn something outside of what I was doing every day. So, coming up in sales and marketing, like that's kind of all I knew. And this was an opportunity to learn about accounting and finance and analytics and all the other areas of leadership. And that was exciting to me. I was a senior VP at Aspire when I applied for the program. And I got promoted to COO while I was in the program. Um, But I entered the program because I knew if I was ever going to get to the C level, I needed more experience across other areas. And that's exactly what a program like that can provide you is, you know, an insight, not an expert, but insight and learning and understanding of how other departments work.
0: No, absolutely. And you've done a great job. And obviously, I'm sure it was very difficult after being out of school for a decade to go back, but you crushed it. And while you're getting your MBA, you're recognized as the best and brightest across 20 executive MBA programs. You're an SBJ 40 under 40 winner. Part of the Aspire group has won countless awards, such a great career. You know, again, couldn't ask for somebody better to to be on season two, episode one of 52 weeks of hustle. But Bill, looking back at your awesome career, what's been your best memory?
1: It's, it's not a singular moment, it's, uh, it's the number 64 and that number is continuing to grow. 64 represents the number of people we've hired at the entry level and have been promoted internally to management positions in the last 12 years and I'm so proud of that because I don't know of any other sport business organization that can say they've developed that many leaders just organically. And many of them are, have gone on and done great things. Many of them are still with us today, but that is so special. It makes all the training and the investment of time and energy in those individuals that much more rewarding.
0: I mean, that's such a huge accomplishment. The number 64, and, and you, we'll talk just a second about this, like, you know, most, you know, for the listeners out there, right, most inside sales programs you're hoping to get and promote internally, you know, maybe four to six people a year just to an account executive role. But to, to help grow 64 people in the leadership, huge accomplishment, obviously, you know, again, going back to family and why that's so important to the Aspire group. So what a what a great memory. And to close it out, Bill, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? <laughs>
1: Travis, I've been waiting 52 weeks for this moment.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, you'll have the best answers then, I assume. So You'll obviously you're, you're very busy, but you're, you're probably spending a little bit of time on your cell phone. What would you say is your most used emoji? It's
1: definitely the you. So yeah. the two hands with the flat hands for the hurricanes. Um, it can be used for many different things, but generally it's a positive vibe. It's like a fist bump, but better.
0: I was gonna say, I definitely, you know, I, I don't get the thumbs up from you in text. I'd certainly get the you, which is awesome. And I and I know exactly why you're doing it. As you look back, you know, to the to the past year, what's your favorite item you have purchased?
1: Well, I like to do work outside around the house. And so I during the pandemic, I decided I was gonna build a sidewalk. And so I bought several tons of flagstone and spent my spare time building a sidewalk. And then that sidewalk became a, a patio. And um, there's something to be said for like when you have a vision of something and you've never done it before, and then eventually you actually do it. And so it's very rewarding. I love walking on that thing.
0: I mean, your, your, your go-to you know, mantra in life is is going out of your comfort zone, right? So you know somehow you found free time, which I have no idea with your schedule how you found free time, but- no, that's awesome. And you know, if you could choose two people to have dinner with, who would they be, and why?
1: Assuming your calendar is booked, <laughs> uh, I would go with Jerry Seinfeld and Warren Buffett. Um, Jerry's going to bring bring the the comedy. Yeah. Uh, Warren's going to bring the business, and it's just going to be a lot of fun.
0: I'd love to be a server at that table. That would be uh, that would be a very entertaining conversation. Well, Bill, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: Invest in yourself, you know, you know, really pour into yourself, you know, continual development. Number one. Number two, um, do the right thing. You know, it's, you learn that as a child, but I think when you're faced with, we have hundreds of decisions every day and if you do the right thing, you know, good things. Can and then finally, um, the third thing is hustle. You know, it's, it's this, um, you, that nobody can measure your own hustle. And so, uh, you know, when you're hustling and that work ethic will, will pay off eventually.
0: Couldn't agree more. Obviously throughout this entire episode, ton of great advice, but absolutely right. You've shown it through and through with your career and investing yourself and taking it to that next level, doing the right thing, being that great person and focus on that family atmosphere. And, and again, I, I love this subtle plug, but it is, it's, it's control the controllables, it's hustle and effort. And so Bill, thank you so much. You've had such a distinguished career. I appreciate what you've done for the business, certainly our friendship. And thanks so much today for your time and expertise.
1: You're the best, Travis. Thank you.
0: Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. So follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.